Allow these phrases to enliven your imagination. A blazing bush. Unbuckled sandals. Bare feet on silty soil. A dark corridor. A flickering candle. Bare feet on cold ancient tiles. A shepherd's field, the bleating of sheep, bare feet in a grassy meadow. These are the call stories that we've lived into over the past few weeks, the call stories of some of our greatest heroes of the faith. But this call to worship, this call of God, is not just for heroes and super saints. God calls us all. And even this morning, with every Sunday that we worship in this place, our service near the beginning begins with a call to worship. God calling us all, regardless of the the size or the length or the depth or the public influence of our call, God calling us. And in the midst of these calls, we are led to places of worship, to places of wonder, to places of awe. And it appears that for some of these call stories, God stirs up this desire to place, to build places of worship. And in King David's time, God said, kind of pushed back on David, said, I am beyond your places of worship, but in mercy and grace, I will allow you the desires of your hearts. But it was David's son, King Solomon, a king who at the start of his 40-year reign loved the Lord. Solomon ends up doing what his father could never do. He builds a temple for the Lord. And we've heard in today's text, and even as Don was sharing with the children this morning, the lengths that he went to do it right to do it beautifully, to make it a dwelling place worthy of the God of Israel. Ornate carvings, winding staircases, bronze columns, gold-embossed porches and portals, cedar crossbeams, olive wood doorways. And the Lord's voice affirmed Solomon's work. Concerning this house you're building, the Lord says, If you will walk in my ways and keep my commandments... Then I will establish my promise with you, which I have made to your father David. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people. Such a fantastic promise. And perhaps you see why humankind and God followers have been building temples and sanctuaries ever since. Trying to press into these promises where God says, I will dwell with my people. And perhaps you've walked through some of these grand worship spaces. I want to talk about our worship space. It's a pretty great space, too, right here in the heart of the city, right? Um, uh, One of the fun stories that I've heard over the past few years is when this is the third iteration of First Baptist Church in 126 years. But when we moved here in the mid-50s, some of the congregation was concerned that we would be out of the way. True? And now we find ourselves at the heart 
of the city. So it's a pretty, pretty great space. It's no Gothic European cathedral, but um, I love it that it's a place set aside for worship. Um, some churches do the multi-purpose room approach, where you would have um, eye hooks in the sidewalls because we're going to string a volleyball court across this place later on in the week. We don't do that, and many of us are grateful for that. I love the high ceilings, those big cross beams. Our windows, beautiful. The cross set before us, the candle reminding us of the light of God week after week in this place. And as I said a few weeks ago during our intergenerational service, I talked about our communion table being somewhat like the ark, echoing the ark. It's a place where we remember God's faithfulness, God's presence, God's ability to redeem and meet us in times of joy, but also in times of sorrow and struggle. This Bible at the center of the table, similar to the ark that we read of this morning that had the the tablets of the Ten Commandments holding inside of it. But we recognize, and again, like Don was saying to the children, that God just isn't here. We read Psalm 139, and we know that God is above the heavens and in the deepest places of Sheol. God is everywhere. But yet God does accommodate to us. Solomon says, I've built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. He balances that with, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Even the highest heavens cannot contain you. But then he's persistent in his prayer, believing in God's companionship and grace. He prays prayers that in many ways resonate with our prayers in this place. Lord, our God, hear our pleas. Hear our prayers. May your eyes be open night and day towards this house, a place where you've promised that your name may be here. Hear the pleas of your servants in this place. Here in heaven, heed and forgive. God heeds us. God forgives us. And so then we journey out from this place week after week doing what heeded and forgiven people do. We carry out the promise of Moses, Samuel, David, Abraham. We carry out the promises of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Yahweh saying to them and to us, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And we've heard that echoed today in our First Kings reading. It's good news for us. We too were once foreigners to this promise, but now we've been weaved in to the people of God, to the story of God. And then we get to go into the places that were sent to invite other foreigners to press into these promises. I was impressed by verse 42, where this story of the temple and the story of God's grace goes beyond just the chosen people, Israel. When a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a distant land because of your name, they shall hear of your great name your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When a foreigner comes and prays toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place 
And do according to all that the foreigner calls you to, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. That's the mission of God. That's the mission that God invites us to join him on. So here's what heeded and and forgiven people do. They, They journey forth. And as we live into this message this week, I hope we will carry the promise that is on the front of our bulletin today. We believe in the God of the mighty arm, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm. And Solomon would have never imagined that this temple image would then turn into humans being the temple of God. When Jesus was shaking up the temple in the early parts of the gospel, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it. Jesus was transforming and reforming that temple image into sinews and ligaments and bodies. And Paul says in his letters to the early church, your body is a temple. We are the temple of the living God. And so it's good to be reminded of that promise that yes, temples and gathering space in the house of the Lord is great for us and part of our spiritual journey, but then we go out, 160, 170 of us this week as temples of the Lord. Turn to someone next to you and say, You're the temple of the Lord. You're the temple of the Lord. It's good news. Say it like it's good news. You're the temple of the Lord. You're the temple of the Lord. You're a heated person. God has heated you. God has forgiven you. You are a temple of the Lord. You carry the good news of this God of the mighty hand, the outstretched arm. That's good news for whatever places we end up going to this week. Our schools, our our workplaces, our places of relaxation or recreation, we get to carry this message our bodies being the temple of the Lord. A God who has heeded us, heeds the cries and prayers and pleas of our people, our world. The gods who have forgiven us in Christ, we get to carry that forgiveness to all creation. The God who loves and cares for us, we get to carry his message, his heart, his love for all creation. In your bulletins this morning, I've been reflecting on this quote of the call. And I invite you to open up your bulletin and read along with me. Because as temple carriers, as temples of the Lord, we each have a call. And I I think Henry Nouwen, the Catholic writer, priest, and contemplative, puts it well. So many terrible things happen every day that we start wondering whether the few things we do ourselves make any sense. Here the word call becomes important. We are not called to save the world, solve all problems, and help all people. But we each have our own unique call in our families, in our work, in our world. We have to keep asking God to help us see clearly what our call is, and give us the strength to live out that call with trust. Then we will discover that our faithfulness to a small task is the most healing response 
to the illnesses of our time. I appreciated Rose's prayer today that really placed us in the mess and muck of our world, but really prepared the way for this quote, this call before us, where we will discover that our faithfulness to a small task is the most healing response to the illnesses of our time. And so in this place, in the house of the Lord, where we believe God meets us, and God hears the pleas of our hearts, I wanted to give us just 30 or 40 seconds to begin praying about where our call is at in these days. Where our faithfulness to the small task is living itself out. What is your present call like? Where does it play itself out in? Is it local? Is it global? Maybe it's a bit of both. How does your call even fit into the mission and vision statement of our church that's right on the front of your bulletin each Sunday morning, seeking the peace and well-being of the city? If you're not feeling like you have a very distinct call, maybe your call might even start there this morning as we pray quietly for 30 or 40 seconds. So I invite you to refresh and renew or become reacquainted with your call. And then I'll close with a word of prayer. Let us sit and listen and experience the Spirit with us in the temple of the Lord.